Welcome to the Rhodes, all of you here, our first-time guests and our online viewers. Can we take a moment and welcome all them this morning? Come on, give them a big Rhodes welcome. Yeah. Glad to have you guys with us. So great to be here with you. My name is Chad. My wife Dawn and I are the pastors here. So if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, look forward to the opportunity to do that. We're excited about a new series we're starting today called Your Story More Than a Post. Your story more than a post. So if you get your Bibles out, your sermon notes out of your worship guide, and make your Version Bible app, you can also open that up. The sermon notes are available for you there under the events section. And uh, just follow along, take some notes, because note takers are world changers. So we're looking forward to do that. And you can open up your Bibles if you got them to Hebrews chapter 6. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 6. We're just excited about the Bible and what God has to say. Your story. More than a post. I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I'm taking a selfie or a video, it is very rare that I get it on the first take. It's very rare. Like if you know if I'm taking, you know, maybe you've seen some of the videos that I put out, and you think, oh man, I could never do that. No, you really can. After 18 times, you can do it. You can do it. You know, I, I did one the other day with Lucas and, uh, you know, working with a co-star that's four years old is, uh, is unique, you know, because I, I gave him his lines and, you know, and I told him like, okay, here's what I want you to say when I want you to say it, right? And so, um, so you get there and you get ready to go. So I've got the long part and I've got all thought out what I'm going to say and I've got a lot i got to get through, you know. I don't want to miss anything. And so I, you know, I hit, hit record and I'm, and I'm going, I'm giving my, my spiel and he looks like, Dad, am I supposed to say it now? I'm like, no. Okay, stop, delete. Okay, remember what I said? You know, do that at the end when I say, when I point to you. It's like, oh, okay, okay, Dad. All right, here we go. All right, so going through that. I'm going through that. Hey, Dad, what am I supposed to say again? Okay, stop, delete. All right, now listen, son, here's what we it never happens. So when you see that final recording, I want you to know there's more to the story than what you just saw. And sometimes in our world with, with pictures and images, I mean, how many of you ever seen a picture of someone Maybe of their business, their family, their house, their car, or maybe their body or whatever, their, fam their picture, their family, and you thought, oh, you're just feeling a little envious of that. Right now, I'm not even sure in our day and time how, how much you can trust of any picture. You're like, I what pictures are actually real? You know, there's so many ways that you can digitize them and, and make them look awesome, make their teeth look like they're just so white. You're like, Wow. That's bright. That's good. Great teeth there. You know, it make their eyes look all funky or something like that. Or maybe you've seen that uh, perfect family picture. You have that perfect vacation picture. They're all on the beach and they're all dressed alike or they have their white shirts and everybody's smiling. They're jumping at the same time. Everybody's looking great. I want you to know that behind every picture like that, there's a story. Because you know those that husband and wife, they, at this point in the vacation, they may not be on speaking terms at that moment. <laughs> the kids were probably fussing and fighting right before the picture, arguing with each other. And mom said, just let, we, just let me get the picture. I want the picture. And then you can go do whatever you want. There's a story behind every picture. 
In our social media world, you know, nowadays you've got, uh, you can post to my story or your story. And so it's, it's a place where you can post videos or images about things in your life and what's going on in your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. You can follow other people and follow their story and follow what's going on. But what I, what I could be concerned about is that we get so caught up in following other people's stories, we forget to write our own. I'm all for following other people's stories and keeping up with what's going on. But, but I want to make sure and ask this question, who's writing your story? I don't want to be one who follows and reads other people's stories and I forget that I have a story that the world needs to hear. You have a story that the world needs to hear. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. Nobody cares about me. I want to follow those rich and famous people. Oh, they're doing all these exciting things. I don't ever do anything fun. You have a story. Sometimes stories, you know, we take snapshots and we see a story, an image, and and sometimes we don't, we don't understand that there's more to the story than meets the eye. That image could be either good or bad. There's a guy by the name of Dyson. I don't know if any of you have heard of Dyson vacuum cleaners. Anybody heard of that? Dyson vacuum cleaners. Well, you know, he's, he's worth $5 billion. That's a pretty cool snapshot, right? $5 billion. But what we don't know maybe is that Mr. Dyson, his... His ingenuity, his design for the vacuum cleaner that became so famous and made him that $5 billion net worth came after 5,216 failed attempts. Over 15 years. I want to make sure I got the number right. I don't want to shortchange him. Sorry, 5,126 failed prototypes. Over 15 years. I'm just beginning to wonder how many times during 5,126 failures did he have the thought, maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should quit and do something else. Over 15 years, 5,126 times this thought came, I'll never get it right. But little did maybe he know that 5,126, when he wanted to quit, he was one try away from $5 billion. I don't know what your situation is or what your story is, but I want you to know that you may be one decision one day away from a drastically different story than what you know right now. Just because you're not seeing the results you want, sometimes there's more to the story. Or maybe it could be a bad side of the story. Maybe your snapshot is a mugshot. See, when you see a mugshot, you need to know that there's more to the story. You don't know everything that's behind that mugshot. You don't know what all's in their life, what's going on. You see a mugshot, we want to cast judgment and determine who that person is. Don't judge just by one image and one snapshot. There's only one reason I don't have a mugshot somewhere. It's because I didn't get caught doing some things that should have gotten me a mugshot. That's the only reason. So we got to be careful that we don't judge our life or the life of others by one snapshot. There's more to the story. So now let's look at what the Bible says about this. In Hebrews chapter 6, here's a biblical principle I want to give you this morning for ensuring that your story will be a successful one. Now you may be here and you may be saying, Chad, my story right now is of epic failure. I'm in the worst season of my life. I've failed at marriage, I've failed at business, I've failed 
in, uh, in my education. I've lost a loved one. I'd, I am at a place right now that this is the worst. I want you to know that your story is not over. The final chapter to your story has not been written. And just because you may be in a season right now where if a picture is taken, this would be your worst moment. There's coming another day, another opportunity, and the rest of the story can be changed. But here's some things that I think has to happen. Let me give you some things quickly out of Hebrews 6, and then we're going to go to a story in the Bible that uh, exemplifies this. Verse 9 says, but beloved, we are confident of better things. We are confident of better things. We've got to be confident of better things. If we're going to make our story a success story, the first thing we need to do is we have to be confident of better things. We have to have an expectation. Three things that I think uh, fall in line with this. We need to have what's called a positive life stance. I think this would help a, help a lot of people. Need to adopt an overall positive life stance in three areas. Number one, our attitudes. We need to have a positive life stance on our attitudes. In other words, we should believe and be confident that better things are happening. We need to have a good attitude. Yeah, a positive attitude goes a long way. Being, having a positive attitude helps the people that want to be around you. Just be a positive, don't be Debbie Downer or Donnie Downer or whatever. A positive attitude, so our attitudes has to be positive. Number two, assumptions need to be positive. Assumptions need to be positive. Sometimes we assume the worst. And then the third thing is our expectations. So our attitudes, our assumptions, and our expectations, they need to be positive. If we're going to be confident of better things, if we can ensure our story is going to change, we have to have this. And I'm going to lay this out in the message. For you understand, the first step is you have to be confident of better things than where you are right now. If your story is not in a good place, then be confident of better things. Well, I don't see how. I didn't say you had to see how. I didn't say you have to know all the details. I'm just saying you have to be confident of better things. It's going to get better. My attitude, my assumptions, and my expectations. Some people have adopted in our critical world, they've adopted this idea that I don't want to get my hopes up because I don't want to be disappointed. So they walk in negative attitude, negative assumption, and negative expectation all the time, and they justify it because they say, I don't want to be disappointed. Guess what? You're going to be disappointed no matter whether your attitude is negative or positive. I would just rather feel good about it. <laughs> I actually hear people say that. Well, I just don't want to get my hopes up. I think we do need to get our hopes up. I think this world needs some hope. I think some of your coworkers need some hope. I need some of you, thank some of your family members. I believe our government needs some hope. I need society needs some hope. So who's going to give it to them? Not people that have negative assumptions. Ah, I knew it was going to be that bad. I knew it was going to work out wrong. I knew it was going to be terrible. I knew it. I knew it. You didn't know? <laughs> look, at, look at verse 10, for God is, in, is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope. There's that word. The same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Everybody say end. 
until the end, until the end, until the end. The same, you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, until you get it. So in other words, how many people have a problem with finishing what you start? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know, you're, you're one of those that you start strong, but then you tail off. I've got great intentions. You know, I'm going to get on that new diet plan. I'm going to get it on that new exercise program. I'm going to get on that new growth program. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to get more sleep. I'm going to read more of my Bible. I'm going to pray more. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this thing. Yes, I'm all in. What you talking about? Talk to me. And then day two comes. <laughs> and, and day two swings around and you're like, oh, no, wait a minute. I just, I'm not... I'm not feeling it today. <laughs> you came strong out of the gate. I'm going to clean out that garage. Yes, sir. And it's not today. Not today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overcome. I'm not going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change. I'm going to overcome. We've got to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Until the end, we got to make sure we get there because sometimes we're not going to feel it in the moment, but we got to believe we're going to get there in the end. Keep pressing through. Something God showed me just a couple weeks ago, and I'm not sure how I'm going to use it, but I'm throwing it in today just as bonus. But I was dealing with something and I wasn't feeling it. And I was just kind of down. And so I was kind of getting discouraged and da da da. And he said, Chad, how, how long? Are you going to ask or require a permission slip from your feelings to believe what I tell you? <laughs> How many times do we ask for a permission slip from our feelings before we're bold? How long do we ask for a permission slip for our feelings before we get past tragedy? I'm going to wait till my feelings tell me it's okay. We may be waiting a long, long time. How long are you going to wait for a permission slip from your feelings to believe what I say? Until you can be courageous or you love someone, till you forgive someone. I'm just going to wait till I feel. Stop waiting for that permission slip. Because if we're going to change our story, we can't wait for our feelings to tell us when it's okay to change. We can't wait for our feelings to give us the green lights. Okay, you can get over it now. That may never happen. There may be a point in our life where we have to decide right in the face of the opposite of our feelings and say, today's the day I'm going over. Today's the day I'm changing. I ain't waiting for you. You can come along if you want to, but I'm going to change. So we got to have that mindset about the same diligence of hope to the end. Look on verse 12, that you do not become sluggish or lazy, but you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Here's the three things that I felt like are helpful in our story. Number one is we got to be confident of better things. Number two, we got to use our faith. He said, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. If you and I are going to inherit the promises of God, we've got to imitate people who do it this way. They do it, number one, they believe in confidence, they're confident of better things going to happen. Number two, but they use their faith, they believe God. Faith is we walk by faith and not by sight. So we can't wait. We can't wait for the senses to tell us okay. And then the, the third part is through faith and What's that P word? It's almost a cuss word to some of you. Faith and 
Faith and patience. Faith and patience. Patience. Patience should be a four-letter word. That's what it ought to be. Ought to be a four. Faith and patience. But what patience means, if we understand it correctly, it's okay. Patience means that we are consistent and constant. That's what patience means. Patience means in the face of opposition, you stay the course. That's patience. That's patience. So how am I going to inherit the promises of God? Not because my feelings told me it's okay, but because I get up every day and I'm constantly and consistently the same. I get up and I open up my Bible app or I open up my Bible and I read the Bible and I pray and I give God my heart today, every day. I just keep doing it. Well, I don't see any difference. I don't see any results. I'm going to keep doing it anyway. I don't see any results from my food all the time, but I keep eating. So now, those three things. Let's see how it applies. The Bible is filled with stories wonderful stories of people whose life was more than a snapshot. And today I'm going to talk about one of my favorites. If you go over to Joshua chapter 2, I want, to find, I want us to talk about a hero in the Bible. Maybe an unsung hero, maybe a hero that some people might find it awkward to talk about. This hero that I'm going to talk about today may challenge some religious thoughts, maybe some religious proper feelings, I'm not sure, but I want to be real because I believe your story is real and I believe the world is full of people who have a real story and they feel disqualified because they think their story should be more like someone else's. So let's talk about Rahab. Rahab. If you found Joshua chapter 2, look at verse 1. It says, here's the backdrop of the story. Let me set the stage for you. The children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land. They're just crossing the Jordan. And so they're sending out spies into the spy out the land, and they're wanting to check it out, and they want to see what's going on, and they're going to come in and conquer. And they're right by the city of Jericho. Remember, maybe you've heard the story of Jericho, had these big walls around it. They've just shouted, trumpet sounding, the walls come tumbling down. It's that Jericho that they're spying out, they're checking out. So that's the story, that's the stage. Look at verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove, to spy secretly, saying, go and view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now time out. Time out. We've got children of God, men of God, going to spy out the land, and God has the audacity to direct them to the house of a harlot. Maybe you don't know what a harlot is. A harlot, according to the Hebrew, the word means to commit adultery, but not just adultery, not like a slip-up or a mistake. This means wanton. You know, like wanton acts of violence? That means no limitations and no boundaries. It means scandalous. We're talking about a prostitute. We're talking about a woman who lived a lifestyle, who sold herself and used herself for financial gain. And God sends men of God 
to her house to lodge there. What kind of righteous man or woman would be caught dead anywhere close to a harlot's house, let alone go inside and spend the night? This sounds scandalous. What is going on? This story is amazing. We've got a harlot. We've got children of Israel. We've got guys staying there. Is this a romance novel? No, it's the Bible. Here's something interesting you need to know about Rahab. Rahab, according to rabbinical tradition and Jewish tradition, was one of the four most beautiful women in all of the Bible. In all of history, according to Jewish tradition, she is one of the four most beautiful women. Sarah, wife of Abraham. Rebecca, wife of Isaac. Both of them lied. Called them their sister because they were so beautiful that they, you know, their hotness made them intimidated. So they were like... <laughs> Worried that people would want to kill them and take their wives. That's how beautiful Sarah and Rebecca were. The third one was Esther. We know about Esther. Beautiful, knock-out, beautiful woman. But the fourth one was Rahab the harlot. One of the four most beautiful women in all of Israel's history. So I thought that was interesting that this woman, with all of her beauty... We don't know the story on why Rahab was doing what she was doing. This is why you got to be careful. You don't know the story. You don't know if Rahab wanted to do what she's doing. You don't know if she asked to do what she's doing. Well, she's this. That. You don't know her story. The Bible doesn't tell us the backstory. All it tells us is that Rahab at this moment, at this snapshot, is a harlot. Can you imagine the posts on her story during this time of her life? We couldn't show them in church. You imagine the post that she made? She's in a place, for whatever reason, she's in a business where she is profiting off of the lusts of men, which unfortunately is an easy place to make money in our society. Pornography, sex industry, all of these things, why is it such a multi-million dollar, even billion dollar industry? Is because the lust of men, the lust that is, and I'm talking about, I'm just picking on male because I am one, but I'm just talking about the lust is caused. So she's in that situation. I don't know why she's there. She's just there. This is her picture. I just want to make sure you know who we're talking about and what she does for a living. This is not the woman that's sitting in church. This is a woman that's in the business. And so they send them to her house. Let me move on. So maybe you're getting uncomfortable about that. But this is, again, they send her into her house. Why do, why do they go to the harlot's house? Couldn't they go to a hotel? Think about it. Nobody's going to get suspicious about strange men coming and going at all hours of the night from the harlot's house. Who are those? Oh, they're going to Rahab's house. Okay, I know what's going on there. I know what's happening there. I, I, I know they're going. So they sent them there for discretion. So this is why they're, they're at Rahab's house. Okay, you got that picture yet? They're at Rahab's house. You know what Rahab does for a living? Okay, she's a harlot. If that makes you uncomfortable, use the word prostitute. If that makes you uncomfortable, there's other words we can use. But let's just stay focused on words that are more palatable to our online viewing audience. 
And the only reason, the reason I'm setting this stage is because I want you to see who she becomes. I'm just, I'm just putting this in here now, not to demean her or talk down about her. I just want you to know where God's brought her from because the story of Rahab, can I just insert this right now? The story of Rahab is not about her harlotness. The story of Rahab is about his redemption. And so you've got to see that. Your story is not the snapshot of where you are right now. I don't care if you're in the worst place in your life right now. You're watching. You are so far from God. You're far. It doesn't matter. God is big enough to touch you right where you are and change your identity. So look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come into your house. For they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they came from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan and to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. I want you to see something powerful in verses 3 through 7. In these verses, this is where Rahab chooses sides. This is a prostitute in her land. She, she was 10 years old. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, 10 years old when the Jews left Egypt. So she could be somewhere around 45, 50 years of age at this point. But she is in this place where she's grown up and lived in this society, lived in this area all of her life. It's who she was. Everything around her she's familiar with, she's comfortable with. And these two guys come into her house, strangers, one night, And all of a sudden, the king comes and says, hey, we know you got some spies in there. Send them out. For some reason, she chooses loyalty to these two strangers over her entire city. You know the risk behind that? She could be killed if they would find them up there hidden underneath the flasks. They're not going to say, oh, Rahab, you little jokester. (laughs) That's not how it's going to go down. She chose sides. She made a decision. This is who I've always been. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm familiar with. But, but there's something about these two guys. It speaks to me. I'm not sure what it is. And verse 7 doesn't tell us yet. So we got to read more to see what happens. So now go to verse 8. Now before they lay down. So remember they sent them outside. She sent them on a wild goose chase. She said, oh yeah, I, I sent them out. They, they took off him go that away. Some of you don't get my cartoon reference. But anyway, they went that away. And so she sent him on this wild goose chase. Man, I got to get new material. So that's, now before, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So she, she comes up to them. Look what she says. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, Sihon, I'm sorry, on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, look what happened. As soon as we heard these things, 
our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any one of us because of you. Why? For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Who's, who's preaching this message? Who is this anointed woman of God who's preaching the gospel? It's the harlot. The harlot is speaking truth. Why? What happened? Look what she says in verse 9. She says, I know. She didn't say, I've heard. She didn't say, some people say. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. How does she know that? Look at verse 11. For we have heard. And then verse 11, as soon as we heard these things, what happened? In her industry, it's not that uncommon for Rahab to hear a few things as people pass through the neighborhood. As people come into her place of business, people talk. Pillow talk. I told you I'm going to test your boundaries. So all these years of talking, hey, there's this group of people called the Israelites. This group of people called the Israelites. And you know, they, they, they were slaves in Egypt, but they left Egypt because all these plagues happened. And man, it didn't affect any of the Israelites, but it happened in all the people of Egypt. And, and somehow they made it out of there. And then they got to the Red Sea and they were trapped and, and they were cornered. Pharaoh was chasing them down. But then all of a sudden this dude that leads them called Moses, he lifted up this, this stick and the waters parted. I'm, I'm serious. I'm saying they parted. I'm not lying, Joe. I'm telling you they parted. That's what I heard from him who said, told me, who told them. I heard it four people straight. So the water parted, and then Pharaoh chased them into the water on dry land right in between there. And then when they got to the other side, Egypt was still there. And then they lifted this stick again, and the waters collapsed on them and drowned all of Pharaoh. You would not believe it. It was amazing. And then, after they got through all of that, and then they come into this new land. And, and you know how the Amorites, you know how tough the Amorites are. Nobody defeats the Amorites. They are, oh, man. You know how they just threatened everybody, kind of the bullies of the neighborhood, Sihon and all these people? Well, they defeated them. They killed all of them. And now they're coming to our town. I believe somewhere on hearing all these stories, it created faith in Rahab's heart. How do I know this? Because Romans chapter 10 tells you. It says, how will people believe unless they hear? How will they hear without a preacher? She had people that didn't even know they were preachers preaching to her, telling her about the promises of God, telling her about the faithfulness of God, telling her about the Israelites, telling her about what happened. And then Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somewhere along the line, verses 9, 10, and 11, she had heard these things, and now she comes to a place that I know. This is a, a harlot woman that was raised in Canaanite, who all they served, Baal, Asherah, the god of the stars. They served all of these Canaanite gods. She was raised in this culture, but in this moment, she said, I'm willing to forsake everything I've ever been taught because I believe your God, the God of Israel, he is the only Lord God. God in heaven above on earth beneath. That's a huge statement from a Canaanite harlot. Something happened on the inside of her that she was willing to leave her life behind because I have this feeling about Rahab. I don't think Rahab liked her life. You know she didn't live a popular life. You know, ladies, if you look that good, not other ladies like you. 
Oh, come on. Okay. Okay. I see how it is. I'll go on my own. So, you know, when she looked that good and you have a place of business like she had, you know the other ladies don't like you. You know none of them are inviting you over for tea. They're not inviting you to be a part of their clubs because they're afraid and they may even have an idea that they're certain that their husbands are probably visiting your establishment. She was not popular. Come on, people. You got, oh, can we just talk about something about going to heaven? That's just is making me feel awkward. I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable in here, you know. What we're wanting to do in this series is realize there's a real world, real world with real stories. And not all of them are saved and grown up in church their whole life. So Rahab... I believe, had something in her heart. I, I wish I knew more of her story, and someday I will. I believe Rahab didn't like what she was doing. I believe Rahab didn't want to do what she was doing, and she was looking for a way out. I believe she had hope on the inside of her. I believe she looked in the mirror every day. I don't have any, conf any confirmation of this. This is just my own interjection. I believe she looked at herself every day and said, that's not who you are. I believe she looked at herself every day, and she got done with a client. And she felt a vast emptiness on the inside of her. She said, there's got to be more to my story. There's got to be more to my life. Surely there's more to this. And these men came in of who she's heard about, and it spoke to her. And I believe God spoke to her and said, this is your ticket out, Rahab. Take it and run with it. So she hid him. She hid him. Look at verse 12. So now, therefore, I beg you. Here's, here's Rahab talking. She tells them, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. Give me a true token. Verse 13. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all they have, all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Notice what she said, delivered our lives from death. She believed that she and her family did not side with the God of Israel. They were siding with the, with the end result of death. She believed that if we choose the God of Israel, we're choosing life. We believe if I choose to stay where I am, I'm choosing death. I want to get out of here. If I choose to serve the God of Israel, I'm choosing life. And not only for me, but for my whole household. It makes me think of a, a scripture in Acts where it says you and your whole household will be saved. It makes me think that whenever we choose God, we are choosing life. We are choosing hope for the future. I got to go on. I don't have time for that. But we got to understand this is her choice. Look at verse 14. So the men answered her, our lives for yours if none of you tell this business of ours. If none of you tell this business of ours. In other words, if you don't rat us out. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Hmm. Verse 15, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. She dwelt on the wall. When I read this, I just kept reading that phrase. She dwelt on the wall. She dwelt on the wall, a wall like a fence, a boundary. And I felt like God said to me, how many people are living on a wall? How many people are living on a fence? Not all the way in, not all the way out. She lived on a wall. Her heart was for something different, 
but she lived in this mess. She lived on a wall. How many of you are living on a wall right now? You're not all the way in for God, but you're not all the way out of God. You're trying to play the fence game. You're trying to, I come to church, but I know I'm not sold out. I want to be a good person, but I'm not wanting to give my whole life to Jesus. Listen, living on the wall, living on the fence is a miserable existence. It will not work for you. It didn't work for Humpty Dumpty, and it will not work for you. You can't live on the wall. You can't live on the wall. See, because something's going to happen. Eventually, Israelites were going to show up. And when they showed up, she was going to have to choose a side. Eventually, Jesus is going to return. You can own, he's going to show up. See, Joshua is the Hebrew, oh man, this is going to take too long time. Joshua, the Hebrew name for salvation, also for Jesus. Joshua came to bring salvation for those who would believe and grab hold of it. Jesus is coming back and he's bringing salvation to those who believe and grab hold of it. But you've got to embrace it. You've got you to know salvation has come to town. You've got to get off the fence. You've got to get off the wall and you've got to go all in for Jesus. You can't live on the wall and go to heaven. You've got to be either in or out. All right, so we've got to move on for that. So now, now let's go to verse 16. She said to them, get to the mountain. Let the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days, lest the pursuers meet you. Sorry. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and your father's household into your own home. So shall it be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless and whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And when you tell this business of ours, if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you have made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. The scarlet cord. The scarlet cord makes me think of the scarlet letter. Hester Prynne, the scarlet letter. The scarlet letter, a sign of shame. Too many times for women, red light districts. These are not compliments or places of, of, of honor. So this scarlet cord, why would it be okay to, write, to wrap a scarlet cord in Rahab's? Well, nobody's going to think a thing about it because they're going to look at that scarlet cord and go, oh, that's, that's Rahab's place. That's just a sign you can go in there and you can, yeah, that's business. Yeah, yeah, you can go to the scarlet cord was a sign of shame. Or was it? Because the word scarlet in the Hebrew, I like this, is, is the word that means Crimson. It's the color of blood. Crimson. It made me think of the song. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left its crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. So now it made me think about when they said, ever, ever, you hang the scarlet cord there. They said, we will not be held accountable if everybody's not in your house, if we don't see that scarlet cord when we come back, 
then we're not held to our oath. But if we see that scarlet cord, then everybody that's in your house under that protection, they all get saved. Hmm, what's that remind me of? Reminds me of Exodus when, when the death angel was passing over and they said, put the blood on the doorposts of the lamb and everybody that's inside the house, the death will pass by. It will pass over you and everybody in the house will be saved. What else does that make me think of? The blood, the blood of Jesus, that when Jesus comes back, he sees the blood applied to our hearts. Everybody, does Jesus... See the blood in your life or the stain of sin in your life? See, because the crimson cord could have been a sign of her failures, but instead it was a sign of her redemption. Look what happens. Be finished with this. The scarlet cord. Verse, uh, jump to chapter 6, verse 22. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spoken, had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman, all that she has, as, I, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in, brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Man, there's more things I could go into here, symbolism, but I don't have time. Only the silver and the gold. And the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus spared Rahab, the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel in the presence of God to this day. <laughs> because she hid the messengers from Joshua and sent to, uh, that sent to spy out Jericho. So here's the subtitle of the message. Rahab. From harlot to hero. Hero? Well, why do you say hero? Well, two reasons. In Hebrews chapter 11, I don't know if you've heard of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is infamous for the heroes of the faith. Great men and women of God listed in here. And you'll find somewhere around verse 31, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace turns into the heroes of faith. She's listed in Hebrews chapter 11. The scandalous woman. You want one better? In Matthew chapter 1, if that one didn't do anything for you, in Matthew chapter 1, that's all right, I'm, Matthew chapter 1, I want to read to you. These are in the begats, you know, the section of Scripture that you skip over and you don't read any of those names. Well, you might want to reconsider because look about in verse 5. Remember it says that she dwelt in Israel after she left. She went into Israel. She changed her life. I told you she wanted a way out. She got her way out in the form of a guy by the name of Salmon. Because in verse 5 it says, Salmon begot Boaz. You heard of Boaz? Bo begot Boaz by, by who? Yeah, that Rahab. That Rahab. That Rahab. Brought Boaz into the world. Oh, you don't know Boaz, I didn't do anything for you. Okay, let's keep reading. Well, Boaz, her son, begot Obed by Ruth. Ruth, Rahab, here's something I'm going to throw in. All four of the ladies, this is a genealogy of Jesus Christ listed here. All four of the ladies listed in the scripture are foreigners. They're not Jewish-born women. 
These are foreigners that are brought into the lineage of Christ. You know what that tells you? What it tells me? That anybody can come into the family of God. It doesn't speak to exclusion and separation. It speaks to grace and inclusion. So Obed begot Ruth, or sorry, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. So the great, great grandmother of King David, the King David, was a harlot from Canaan land. From harlot to hero. Why? Because God's not one to leave you where you are. Your story is not completely written. Just because she'd taken snapshots in Canaan land and this is who her life is, now she's taken snapshots that I'm the great-great-grandmother of King David. What you talking about now? Come at me, bro. Talk to me. Who am I? Yeah, Jesus came from my lineage. That's who I am. That's who she's taken snapshots. I'm in Hebrews chapter 11. Did you see that? I'm not a harlot anymore. I've been redeemed by by the crimson cord that hung in my window. Now, this story is powerful in the Bible, but these stories are not just powerful in the Bible. They're also powerful with people right here in our midst. I want you to check out this video of a person who also made a change in their life. Check it out real quick. Hi, my name's Benjamin Bolin, and this is my story. So whenever, whenever I was a kid, you know, we, we didn't go to church all the time, but Part of the time, whenever we would go, we went to to a, a church that was a branch of the Mormon church. It was something that that just really didn't take root because I was young and you know, getting out of high school and everything. I I had gotten uh, gotten into drug abuse and had gotten addicted to drugs and had a very foul and, and vulgar mouth, you know. And you know, you hear people say that, you know, man, you've got a that person's got a mouth that would make a sailor blush and. I was just very worldly and, and very, um, you know, living, living my life for myself and that feeling, you know, that, that was always just, you know, lingering of, man, there's got to be more to life than this. I, I believe that there was a God, but I just didn't really know God. I didn't have a relationship with God. You know, through the, through the course of, of all of that, I, I finally had heard, heard from God and He was telling me that you know, hey, you know, it's, it's time to grow up and it's, it's time to get your house in order. So I, I started coming to church here at the Roads with my parents about two and a half years ago. And I remember the, the first time that I ever walked through the front door that I knew that something was different, that this was not like anything I'd ever experienced before. Once I finally made that decision that so I'm going to give my life to God, I'm going to um, I'm going to let him have my life and, and do things his way, the way that, the way that he wants me to. And it, it was something quite spectacular, the changes that started taking place. You know, like I'd mentioned, you know, I, I had a foul mouth and, man, I, I had an addiction to pornography. And, and that was something that I dealt with for years and, and had even tried to stop on my own. And once I finally decided that I was going to give my life to God, that I remember I woke up one morning and I didn't use foul language anymore. It just, it, it wasn't there. It just didn't come out. And the addiction to pornography too, just gone. Just that same, the, the same time that was gone. I didn't, I didn't even have to walk that out. And that is the difference is, is used to, I, I used to enjoy doing things that were wrong. 
there's been times, you know, that, yeah, that thought has crossed my mind. It's like, man, I just give up and quit. You know, this is hard. But then I realize, give up and go back to what? <laughs> what am I going to go back to? There, there is nothing to go back to. You know, you are right where God, God wants you. And that, that's who I am. That's who I am now. I'm, I'm, I'm not who I used to be. I'm, I'm a new person. I'm a new creation in Christ. Notice what he said. He said, that's not who I am. I'm a new person. I don't know what your story is, but I want you to know that who you've been is, doesn't have to be who you'll always be. As I was preparing this, I was thinking about my story, and as I started preparing it, I just started weeping at my desk, and, and I was thinking that if my story would get played on a screen, all the snapshots of different times of my life. There would be times that I would want, if everyone was watching, if my, I thought about my kids, this is who I initially thought about. I thought if my kids were there, I thought of times in my movie, my story, what I would, what I would have wanted to say, uh, girl, look away. Don't look, don't look at your dad right there. Don't look at him. Look away. You don't want to see that. Oh, this part. Can, can we fast forward? How, how can we skip this? Girl? Don't, look, don't look at dad there. That's not my best moment. As I thought about those moments, they said, Jed, your story is your story. Because here's the question. Is Rahab a harlot or is she a hero? He said, well, she was both. That's her story. He said to Chad, the difference is the story is not about the harlotness of Rahab. The story is about the greatness of my ability to redeem. So he said, I don't want you to be ashamed. I don't want you, there's, I'm not going to be proud of all moments of our story, but he said, your story is an example of my redemption. It's a testimony that if I can take the person who had those scenes in their life, and put them on a platform and preach to people? Do you know my story? You don't know? You think, oh, I could never be like you. You don't know my story? You don't know where I came from? You don't know this, this movie reel of my life? And you think yours is so much worse? Oh, you, I could never be like him. Oh, I could never have that vacation picture like that. You can have it. You just gotta choose to get off the fence. I'm never going to get past this moment, God. I'm never going to get past this issue. I'm never going to get past. You can. You can. But you got to choose. Every day you got to make choices. So I don't necessarily want my kids to see all my story, but I want them to hear about the one who redeemed me. I want them to know that the story is not how bad I was. That's not the story. Some people want to tell their sin stories and they want to do it to kind of brag on how bad they were. The story is not how bad I was, kids. The story is how good he is.